0: Thought experiment for you. If I was to ask someone who heads up a Players Association, and for argument's sake, it was...
1: Donald Fear, Executive Director, National Hockey League Players Association.
0: And I asked him, what would represent the best scenario for the players in his organization to return back to action? What would he tell me?
1: Look, there is a scenario where everything goes perfectly well which players could begin skating in another two to three weeks, and perhaps we could resume play as early as the first part of June, or the middle part of June, and play some portion of the remainder of the season or, or the playoffs.
0: Okay, fair. But what's the catch?
1: We have to negotiate all kinds of things with the NHL. Return to play, timing, circumstances, location, medical protection... What do we do with the whole off-the-ice calendar this summer? What about the draft? What about buyouts? Setting the salary cap for next year for the agency, salary arbitration. What do we do
2: with when the season starts? Donald Fear joins us for a lengthy discussion.
0: I'm Richard Deitch. And I'm Donovan Bennett, and you're listening to the Sports on Pause podcast.
2: Donald Fear is the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association. He's certainly well-known to sports fans as the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association from 1983 to 2009, and he joins us on Sports on Pause. Tom, thank you very much for being here, and let's start off with this. There are people who work for you at the NHLPA's offices, and like yourself, obviously, they've been impacted by COVID-19. Can you just give us a sense of the people who are sort of professionally around you, Are they working from home? How's their health? And how have they been doing amid this COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for asking. As far as I know, and I'm pretty sure I would know if it were otherwise, everybody is healthy. Everybody is taking the appropriate precautions. The office has been closed for several weeks now. All of the lawyers, the business people, the financial people, the accountants, the press people are all working remotely. And it's a little cumbersome, and uh, telephone meetings are always more difficult than face-to-face meetings, but we're making do like everybody else is.
0: How can you support and be of assistance to your players during this time?
1: Well, it depends on what the needs of an individual player are, but in terms of the work environment, first of all, we're in constant contact with the NHL as to what they should be doing and where giving them advice, answering questions. We have our own medical people on staff, have had for a long, long time. Hockey players get a lot of injuries and have to be treated. And we're working with infectious disease specialists, so we're in a position to answer whatever questions they have, make suggestions to them. Most importantly for professional athletes is just a a constant reminder that, you know, I know this is tough. I know it's very difficult for a professional athlete to get out of a training routine, to get out of a routine in which you get up for a game on a frequent three times or four times a week basis, but this is something we just got to live through, and we'll get back to it as soon as we can. The hardest problem is that, like everyone else in North America, or I guess worldwide for this matter, people want to know when things are going to return to normal, and unfortunately, I haven't got that information.
2: Don, I realize the the realistic answer here is probably infinite. That would be the answer, but I'll ask you it anyway. What would you say right now for you, for your purposes, for your organization's purpose, what are the biggest issues that you are facing right now?
1: Well, organizationally, in terms of the organization surviving or doing its best to confront the situation we have, that's not an issue. We have enough resources. We'll be able to get through this secondly the biggest issue is one of communication in the ordinary course of events you're dealing with 31 teams but you can find those teams on any given day and the players are together so you can reach everybody pretty easily now that's not true players are scattered uh, all over everywhere a number of them are have remained in the club's home city some because they live there some because they choose to but a whole lot of other players have gone home to be with families and take care of which needs to be taken care of. So communication is the toughest part. Then the second thing is how do we plan for, how do we anticipate, how do we try to come to grips with the multitude of different scenarios which could play out over the next several weeks and months because we don't know which one is going to be the case. So we have to take whatever measures we can to make sure we are as prepared as we can. That's like, what everybody else involved in sports or entertainment is doing too so there's nothing new or different about that it's just that when you're playing hockey you're playing a context sport
0: you talked about those multiple scenarios the decision to defer payment and potentially to put some money into escrow how will your membership make those decisions
1: well, I don't talk about how the membership reacts, and I never discuss internal conversations with players. They have a right to talk about that if they want, but they also have a right to have my comments to them be considered confidential. But putting that aside for the moment, look, there is a scenario if everything goes perfectly well, in which players could begin skating in another two to three weeks, and perhaps we could resume play as early as the first part of June or the middle part of June, and play some portion of the remainder of the season or or the playoffs, but we don't know whether that's true. And if so, we don't know what the dates are, and we don't know where the games would be played. There could easily be in a situation in which um, we don't know whether everybody's home city will be available or only some or only neutral sites. Uh, Secondly, we don't know, as time goes on, whether next year is going to start normally or it's going to start late. Or what the situation is. What those two things mean is we don't know what the extent of the revenue loss is that the NHL is going to suffer. We know that there were about 190 games, hundred little less than that, that were not played in the regular season, plus the entire postseason. It's a lot of money generated there. And the players get paid based on half of hockey-related revenue, HRR but they get paid over the course of the season. So the result was that very likely they have received more than 50% of the actual revenue, which is going to come into the NHL this year. So when we look at all that and understand that we have to negotiate all kinds of things with the NHL, return to play, timing, circumstances, location, medical protection, what do we do with the whole off the ice calendar this summer, what about the draft, what about buyouts, setting the salary cap for next year, free agency, salary arbitration, what do we do with when the season starts? How do we get a handle on that? And we have had ongoing discussions with the NHL about an extension of the collective bargaining agreement. So the question then becomes, how do you, in the face of this kind of uncertainty, negotiate all of this out, And how much of it can you wrap up into a single package? It's very difficult to do. And what the players have done so far is simply to say that under all of the circumstances, they're deferring the last paycheck so that negotiations with the NHL can go forward. And we'll see what comes of that.
0: Everything you just explained in in deferring that decision, we may not know much more than we know now in a month's time, uh, in May 15th. Have you polled your players on how they're feeling about the issues that you've just discussed?
1: Oh, sure. You know, basically it runs through the former players on staff or the player reps or other veteran players on every team. It will not surprise you that different players have different opinions. It will not surprise you that since this particular situation is caused by somebody, something entirely exogenous to a normal collective bargaining situation that people are coming to grips with the issues in different ways. But we basically know what they're thinking. You have to try and come to as broad a consensus as you can.
2: Don, there are, uh, 557 NHL players last I checked. If my numbers are off on that, apologies. And, um, nearly half the league's players come from countries outside of North America. So it leads to the, I think, obvious question of how difficult will it be to get everyone to agree on a plan? And is it feasible to expect there to be uniformity among all the players when it comes to the many contingency plans the NHL is throwing around?
1: A couple of things in that regard. First of all, when the NHL is throwing around contingency plans, Those are ideas, and those ideas have to be examined. They have to be thought through. You have to determine what the difficulties are, what the benefits and detriments of each particular one might be. And then as time passes, certain options you thought you had are going to turn out not to be very plausible, and others are going to turn out to be much more likely, much more realistic, and you'll end up focusing on those. Without question, you know, we have people in multiple jurisdictions. I don't know how many NHL players are across the Atlantic at this point. It's nothing like half, but it might be as many as uh, 18 or 20 percent. And they'll need to get back if we're able to resume. People will say, what do you do about if the borders are closed? Well, short answer to that is if the borders are still closed, it's pretty hard for me to envision playing.
0: You've been involved in some other sports like Major League Baseball. What are some of the unique challenges that hockey has in terms of a return to play in comparison to the other sports talking about returning?
1: Basketball and hockey have a lot of close personal contact, obviously. Hockey players have the likelihood of more severe injuries in the process. Uh, and so what you want to do is make as certain as you can, understanding that nothing is perfect, especially in a situation that the scientists are, are still struggling a bit to understand and to predict future behavior of, you've got to make the best series of judgments you can and make certain that you don't take unreasonable or inappropriate risks. And that's where, at least on the player association side, and I am sure on the league side too, we are going to default to the outside medical professionals who are giving us advice.
2: Do you think the idea of um, of trying to do an accelerated uh, finish to this current season, and then try to maintain as best as possible the next year schedule? I, I guess I would ask you just sort of as a thought exercise: what do you what do you think about that? If everything became accelerated,
1: The short answer to that is it's clearly not optimal. But the situation we're in is clearly suboptimal to start with. So, I mean, you need to do the best you can with that situation. The longer The 2019 20 season goes before it concludes, the longer the delay in starting the 2021 season is likely to be. And there's pretty good reason to believe that we could start as long as a month late and with some adaptations in uh, the schedule and lengthening it perhaps to late June. Rather than early June, we could play a, a regular season. The precise ability to examine that, however, isn't going to occur until we get an idea of what we can play and when, and at what point we could expect it to end. And we're still weeks away from that.
0: What is the length of time would your players safely need to gear back up and get into shape if, God willing, you're able to play games again and the pause that's on the league is is lifted?
1: Well, two things have to happen. The first one is players have to start skating again, because. Even in the summer, during the normal breaks, their conditioning, it doesn't stop. And you can do a lot of things at home. Skate and build up your endurance and so on is ordinarily not one of them, unless you've got a rink in your backyard. And so you need a period to do that. Then you need a period to retrain to get back out there in order to be in game shape. So you're talking about uh, weeks at least.
2: I'm going to ask you a question that's really, really um, in terms of when to think about this uh, a little bit in the future. But one of the things that obviously all of us are experiencing during COVID-19 is travel restrictions. And there's going to be a lot that weighs on people mentally when the ability to travel gets a little bit more frequent, particularly when it comes to traveling globally. Have you thought at all about the China Olympics and your players association, your body playing in that in specific relation to COVID-19 and travel and health accommodations?
1: Of course, it crosses your mind, given what's transpired that the 2022 Olympics in, in February will be in Beijing. Uh, but we're not at the point of trying to to evaluate that. My My assumption is pretty straightforward that that for us to resume play in North America, you're going to need to be satisfied that everything is safe and the risk of infection has been reduced as close to zero and pre-COVID as people can make it. And that includes things not only at the arena, but you know how you get to and from the arena and where people stay, do you eat room service or restaurants? Do you cater in meals? What kind of testing do you have, and all the rest of that? Uh, and we'll have a lot of experience. With that, I hope, long before we have to worry about the Beijing Olympics. That said, I find it very difficult to believe that the IOC would willingly play the Olympics unless they were satisfied that things were in order.
0: As you described, the cap is obviously tied to the revenue the league makes in a given year, and that revenue and thus the salary cap may drop. And then as things, you know, return back to normal, hopefully it could, you know, get back into its regular area. Would you be a proponent of smoothing, you know, the, the cap over the next couple of years to make sure we don't see a wild fluctuation in what that cap is year to year and thus the amount available for free agents in, in every off season? Uh, that's one factor. Other factors are what the amount of
1: escrow is, how fast Any escrow underpayment would need to be or or ought to be rectified. If you can wrap that into a new long-term agreement, uh, what's the length of that agreement? How does it work and how do all the pieces fit together? To a certain extent, you're dealing with a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, but one that can be put together in different ways. But you don't know what all the pieces are yet. And so when we get all the pieces, begin experimenting with that. For example, if we were able to reach agreement this week, any agreement this week would have to have built-in contingencies. If this happens, we do this. If something else happens, we do something else. And so we'll see. We, we're we going to do the best we can. Uh I certainly hope and expect that the NHO will do the best it can also. We always have our differences with, with the owners, but I think there is a shared desire to make sure that the enterprise returns to normal operations as soon as possible and until that can happen if you're playing on some sort of a different basis to provide the best possible product for the fan.
0: You mentioned the escrow and it's something that You know, as cap savvy as many fans are, a lot of people don't really understand. As best you can, in layman's terms, can you explain, um, you know, how the escrow works and the potential pros and cons of the players, you know, giving some money to help the escrow situation?
1: Well, let me take the first part of it. It's really pretty simple. Players get half of what's known as hockey related revenue. But they're still free to sign individual contracts. The owners are free to offer individual contracts within certain limits. And if what happens is the face value of the contracts exceed the expected 50% of the actual revenue, the difference is escrow. And that's what has to be returned because the 50-50 split is the, the, the sort of overarching principle that you have to deal with. That said, players don't like escrow. They don't think it's fair. They just as soon get rid of it tomorrow. But it takes two people to make a collective bargaining agreement, not just one. And so that's the agreement we have, as does basketball, as does football. In terms of when it's repaid, if there is an escrow underage, that's a matter of collective bargaining, and the players will have to weigh and measure different scenarios which may prevent themselves. and try and move in the direction of the one that they think is the best. That said, obviously one of the questions that you need to wrestle with is what happens to the free agent market in a given year or a given couple of years uh, and so on. On the other hand, you know, we we, we could take all the limitations off the cap and then have an extraordinarily high escrow number because you're still limited in terms of overall compensation by half of the hockey-related revenue
0: obviously the health and safety of your players is paramount as you look to navigate a return to play. But when games were still going on before the league was shut down, were you concerned for the health and safety of your players at that time COVID-19 was starting to become more and more rampant in North America?
1: Uh, Well, of course, you're always concerned about the health and safety. You're particularly concerned about health issues which do not derive directly from playing hockey, of which this certainly is. And the hope is that you get on top of it as soon as you can. As you'll note, when the league decided to suspend operations, we knew that they were likely going to do that. We certainly didn't have, I certainly didn't have an objection to it because I didn't see an alternative. Still don't.
0: Having said that, could the league have done more or acted quicker to make sure that your players remained healthy and safe?
1: players, by and large, have have been pretty healthy. We've had a a few cases, but certainly not very many. I think that's true with respect to their families and the overwhelming majority of of, uh, NHL club staff also. There'll be plenty of time
0: later on
1: to do a review of what's happened and decide whether in the future you need to build some things into the decision-making matrix which would trigger decisions at an earlier time, but it's too soon to do that.
0: You mentioned things being collectively bargained, the long list of things that have to be agreed upon before a puck is dropped again. The thought experiment of a quarantined league, a, a biosphere type situation, are the specific parameters around what that may look like, something that is collectively bargained, or is the actual location something you're well aware, has been much speculated. Is that also something that is collectively bargained between the two sides?
1: Legally, we've never really gotten into this. As a practical matter, I think the answer will be yes. It will be collectively bargained.
0: Well, if you are getting into it, uh, that means that things for society as a whole are getting much better. And I think that's what both sides want to see. Thank you so much for giving perspective and education on a very, very complex but serious issue.
1: Thank you. Glad to be with
2: you. Well, back with uh, Donovan Bennett uh, for a quick uh, recap of our conversation with Donald Fear. There were a lot of things that were pretty interesting about that, but I thought your last couple of questions were really, really dead on and and interesting. And the one thing I hadn't thought about was like how deep they have to collectively bargain things. And Donald Fear was pretty revelatory in that while something may not be sort of legally in a document, even to the point of, like, what neutral site they might play at or, you know, what kind of quarantine situation the players would be agreeable to. All that stuff, all the minute details are going to have to be collectively bargained. And that's interesting, as well as just a whole brave new world uh, that we've entered.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think it was, you know, Brian Windhorse, who said on a previous podcast on Sports on Pause, and if you haven't listened to it, scroll through because it was a really interesting and in some ways similar conversation to this one, you know, you can't get a group of people to agree on the weather, never mind what's going to happen. And so all of those negotiations, there's going to be lots of people with different opinions at stake amongst the PA, never mind the PA going back and forth with the league. But all that takes time and so if you have to cross a lot of t's and dot a lot of i's to get this done to move it uh, across the goalpost i just the more and more i think about it the more i think that if you are going to finish this season You're certainly going to be compromising next season. And then with that comes many financial implications, which I think Donald did a great job of explaining. So lots and lots and lots of decisions to be made, conversations to be had over the next weeks and literally months.
2: Yeah, we uh, once again are just sort of entering an entirely new paradigm when it comes to situations that both leagues and uh, the players associations for those leagues have to think about. All right, Donovan, for the last word part of uh, this podcast, where we offer listeners something that um, stayed with us or that we were struck by that provides some kind of service element for your understanding and better education of COVID 19. And I realize I am now repeating myself on this podcast. That said, Donald G. McNeil, the fine science reporter for the New York Times came out in the last couple days with just an incredible piece of reporting on really how to come out of a pandemic and what the realities are for, for those of us in North America to return to some semblance of normalcy. It is very United States specific, but everything will apply to whether you live in United States or Canada or Mexico. And again, Donald G. McNeil And his latest piece for the New York Times, it is just an incredibly comprehensive bit of reporting on where we are going to be over the next six months.
0: Good call. And despite the fact that some people have called the New York Times fake news again of late, I'm actually going there as well. Clean sweep. Mine is a piece by Keith Collins, and it basically details that coronavirus testing needs triple times three before the U.S. can reopen. He talks to a lot of people about how and why that is the case. And so, again, when we're talking about you know sports coming back and a return to normal, just keep those types of things in mind. Keep in mind the fact that if the NHL or the NBA or MLB or whatever your favorite league comes back, they are going to need tests. And the fact that the U.S. needs three times as many tests to get back to some semblance of normal would be something to keep in mind. We will continue to have these types of conversations and we continue to appreciate your feedback. So please like, share, favorite, subscribe, rate, and let us know who you want to hear from and what you want to hear about. Until next time, stay safe, take care of yourself and others.